Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. So we've been uh, talking about uh, repentance the last couple of weeks. We talked last week, then the two weeks before that we were on the subject of repentance. And I don't want to do a lot of review. I'd like to uh, give us a chance to um, uh, possibly end a little early. It's 740, so it's probably not going to happen. But uh, we talked about the importance of repentance. What a great subject it is. And I hope you've enjoyed this. hope you've gotten something out of it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a hallmark of our faith. It's a hallmark of who we are. This subject is not a bad subject. It's not a, it's a, it's a wonderful subject. And, and I know we've, we've talked a bit about this and, um, uh, go to Hebrews. Uh, let's see, where do I want to start? Go to Hebrews chapter five. Uh, we looked at this verse last week, I believe Hebrews, the fifth chapter. This is not a subject that, unfortunately, is heard too often these days. But we we want to, we want we want to hear what the Bible says in all on all areas. In Hebrews five twelve, it says, "For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That's not a good thing." For he, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And then verse 1 of the next chapter says, Therefore, with that in mind, these first principles and the need to know these things and be grounded in these things and become skilled, he said, Therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation, the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and, as, uh, and, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so he was going to come back and wanted to reestablish these things with them, make sure that they were uh, well-grounded. But notice he said these are elemental, these are first principles, they're elementary principles of Christ. And the first one he mentioned was repentance from dead works. And it's something that we never outgrow. It's something that we never mature beyond. Like I, said, I think I said last week, the closer you get to God, the more you see that you need to repent. The more you'll see in the Word, the more of your understanding of the Word that you have, the more adjustments you recognize you need to make. And that's good. We need that. And so if, uh, we want to repent in those cases. When we see something what's wrong, we want to repent of that. That's a good thing. We talk about the fact that uh, John the Baptist, his ministry was a ministry of repentance. Uh, Jesus, when he was... Uh, baptized after John the Baptist had baptized him. He, he, you know, rose, went and was tested by the enemy. And he said that he then began to preach, repent for the kingdom is at hand. That's where he went to preach this message of repentance. And then uh, Paul or Peter rather in Acts chapter two, he got up and told the people to repent. And so repentance is an important thing. And we read the verse that repent so that times of refreshing may come to the Lord written to believers. So there's a direct correlation between our walk and the freshness of our walk and the newness of our walk attached to repentance. And if we're not repenting, if we're not 
uh, bringing these things before the Lord and clearing ourselves of these things, it does affect fellowship. It does affect, the, especially as you're seeing things and the Lord is illuminating things in your life. If you don't deal with them, it can interfere with fellowship. And so fellowship is the most important thing. You do realize that. For us personally, fellowship is number one. Now we have a mission side. There is a personal side and then there's a, there's a business side. And so on the, the personal side, fellowship is everything. And then on the business side, we want to accomplish the will of the kingdom and reach, reach the world, go into all nations, preach the gospel. But that's the, that's the work side of the ministry. But the personal side of our individual lives is all about fellowship. And so that's why repentance is such an important thing. And uh, we talk, we've talked about people needing to hear about repentance and we need to be bold about these things and understand what they are. And so last week, uh, just looking to see where we, we were, we had talked about uh, the seven letters to the seven churches in the uh, first couple chapters of the book of Revelation, uh, chapters two and three specifically. And in all of those, except for just a couple, there were things that, yes, the things that the, the Lord was proud of. In most cases, there was one church he found nothing good to say, but that's a terrible thing. But he, he would say to them, repent of these things or else this will happen. Repent, unrepentance, there are always or else's attached to it because it's a blockade, it's interference. And so I want to make sure we're dealing with those things. And Jesus told them plainly to repent or else this would happen. And so we, we, none of us want to get involved in the or else's. We want, to be, we want to be clear of or else's where the Lord is concerned. And so we were talking about these things. I want to read to you the definition that we looked at last week of repentance, and then we'll move on from there. Uh, I just got to find it. Bear with me here. So two, there were two Greek words there, and, and metaneo, and then another, uh, uh, I, don't have, I don't know exactly where it's at here, but basically both of them were, it pictures a change of mind that results in a complete, radical, total change of behavior, a decision to completely change or entirely turn around in the way one is thinking, believing, or living, a decision to change one's thinking, believing, or actions, a decision to completely change or entirely turn around in the way one is thinking, believing, or living. And I like this, a total transformation affecting every part of a person's life, both inside and outside, resulting in behavioral change. And so one of the things we notice that, it, that the definition of, of repentance and repent involves a decision. It's a choice. It's a decision that we make, and it's not just a decision, but there is action attached to it as well. A decision alone is not good enough. You have the saying, talk is cheap, right? Well, just a change of mind is cheap. There needs to be a change of mind, but one that is so strong that it changes how you believe, how you see, how you look at things, so that it also changes how you live and how you act. And so it starts with a choice. But the end result is a change, a total, I love that, a total transformation. And so, um, uh, you know, people, there's been an attack on the subject of repentance. People say you don't need to repent, you don't need to do that. That's, that's a doctrine of demons that's not from God. That's striking at the very foundation of who we are, of our Christian faith. We need to do that and people need to repent. But it, there, it's more than just praying a prayer. It's more than just saying some words, whether it's a person getting born again or a person who is a believer confessing sin. It's not just a, just a simple thing. It's a change of who you are. And it's a radical change if necessary. And so we were looking at that. And so I told you last week, I want to look at three examples of, of repentance. And I said this too last time. I said you can notice in that definition what the, what something that's missing. A word that's missing from that definition that is, is, stands out 
and that, 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 that is emotion. It's a decision, but there is no emotion in that decision. And we said that repentance can have emotion involved in it, but emotion is not required for a change. Our, our emotion is not required for a total change of one's life. It's a decision that you make. Sometimes decisions are hard and they, they don't feel good and they're not emotional. You just do it. You just make the decision and it's a real decision and it changes who you are. And so uh, emotion is not there, but that, that idea of emotion and what emotion is has gotten a lot of people messed up. And, and it's a tricky thing because if you're not aware of it, and, and our first primary focus is our own life. We want to make sure that when the Lord deals with about something or there's a sin in our life that we have to deal with, um, you can't really deal with it with emotion. Now, if emotion's there, great. But you need repentance. There needs to be a change of mind, a change of believing, and then there'll be a change of action. So we want to look at these three examples. Go to Matthew chapter 27. And these are great. Man, I, I think these are great examples. You, you'll, you can make your own decision about that. But uh, Matthew chapter 27, I told you of three in specific instances. I said first we'd look at Judas, and then we'd look at um, uh, Esau, and then we'd look at a whole group of people in the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 27, this is the third verse, said, Then Judas, who, which had betrayed him, speaking of Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, now this is the King James Bible. So if you're reading out of the New King James, this is the way the King James, uh, the old, the regular King James reads it. It says, When he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is this to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Uh, that word repented there, that, that's, repent, that's repented. Now, the New King James did a better job, I believe, at translating that word. It says that uh, when Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he, he, had be, he had been condemned, was remorseful. That's a better translation because that word that is translated repented in the King James and remorseful in the New King James, it's metalamal, whatever. It's, it sounds Hawaiian or something, but it's not. It's a metamalani, malami. I don't know. What, anyway, it's a, I'm not Greek, obviously. So, uh, but it means to express sorrow, mourning, or grief to be seized with guilt or to be filled with remorse and regret. And see, that, that word is all about emotion. It's all about emotion. And so I, I remember, you know, years ago I would read that verse and he repented himself. And, you know, people, I've had people even ask me, well, do you think Judas is in heaven? I've had people ask that question, do you believe Judas is in heaven? And because it says he repented himself. So if he repented himself, you know, will we see Judas? And for the long time, I was like, well, it said repented. You know, we have to be willing to dig deep and not just read stuff on the surface and just like, okay, just scan through. Well, because, you know, the Bible, the Bible is a deep, it's a deep book. You know, it's not the Reader's Digest or something you pick at the newsstand. It, it, there's more to it. And, and the good news is there's more for all of us to find. And so I just hadn't really spent the time to look into it, but, but, when the question's asked, did Judas go to heaven? I would say 100% no. He absolutely didn't. Because Judas never experienced true repentance. Remember, repentance is a change of mind. Now, it said that he was remorseful. Uh, he was regretful or remorseful. But Judas didn't experience it. It didn't say he had a change of mind that had a change of behavior. There was a behavior attached to it, but it wasn't a godly behavior. 
When, when a person is repentant about something and they repent, they make a decision, they're, they're, the behavior that follows is a godly behavior. It's a one that is, it's a, it's a grateful behavior. It's one that is pushing closer to the Lord. It doesn't take its own life. It doesn't, it doesn't go to an extreme of that nature. That is a perfect picture of absolute uh, guilt and remorse gripping somebody. And so we look at this, and people oftentimes, they're extremely remorseful about things, but it didn't help Judas, and it won't help us. So we need to make sure that, that emotion can be good. Emotions are great as long as it's, a, it's coming from our hearts and not out external things, and there is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. It's interesting, you know, when, when I was uh, looking at this, as, just as a side thought, I, Brother Brad and I talked about this last week. You know, you look at just the goodness of God in this story. And I hadn't really noticed this before, but um, you're, in, you're in Matthew. Go over to uh, um, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 26. You're there in the 27th chapter. So go back to Matthew chapter 26. This is just a side note. I think this is good. Um, in the 20th verse, this is leading up to this event, leading up to the betrayal of, of Jesus It said that when evening had come, he sat down with the 12. Jesus sat down with the 12. Now, as they were eating, he said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Imagine the the, the words that most of the disciples, what they thought when he said that. They thought, well, what? One of the 12 of us? I mean, these guys had been together for, for years now and had seen just incredible things. I'm sure for most of them, that was the farthest thing from their mind. Who is it? In fact, there were people they began to debate. Is he talking about me? Well, who's he talking about? I mean, who is this? And he said, one of you, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrow and sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he said, and he answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The son of man... Indeed goes, uh, indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Woe to him by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man to not have been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, he was already in the process of doing this. Now, now remember, he'd already met with the chief priest and agreed on a price. He, he, and they didn't approach him. He approached the chief priest. And, of course, we, we looked at this morning that Judas's problem all began back at the alabaster box over money. That's the danger of these things. And so he wanted, he valued Jesus, that 30 pieces of silver, more than he did the master. And uh, see, so he had already made the deal with them, already, already rent, you know, made this deal with them. And so G- Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said to him, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus said, you have said it. Now, it's interesting to me when I read this that uh, notice he said, woe to him that betrays me. It would have been better for that person to not have been born, born at all. When, when, when the subject of repentance, we're talking about this, really it, it's the goodness of God that we're able to repent. It really is a blessing. When I said at the beginning of this, repentance is a huge blessing. I think I said last week, thank God we have an opportunity to repent because there's coming a day for people. There are people, many, many people that are, that are existence, in existence right now that are past their opportunity to repent. And so while we're here, we want to do all the repenting we possibly can. Now, you can take it too far where you get weird and you just, you know, you you can just take it too far. God doesn't want us being unstable and just afraid of our own shadows, that kind of stuff.
stuff, you know, and was that a sin? I had, we had a friend of ours that, that uh, you know, he, he, he struggled with, it, was he in sin all the time? If he, he'd come over to our house, we were in Rama. he was another student with us, and we'd be playing video games, you know, or something, we'd Crash Bandicoot or something, I would always beat him, you know, and we'd do all this stuff, we'd play, and, and then he just would all of a sudden get real condemned, you know, that he would, just, you could just see it come over him, he'd say, I, I gotta go, and and then later, like I had to go. You know, I realized I, my heart was I, I was I was I was just I wouldn't spend enough time praying. I should have gone. That's 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 bondage. You know. Now there are times you need to go pray, but this happened all of the time, and and it wasn't just a season of prayer the Lord was calling him into. That was just the devil trying to torment him. And so, you know, you can go too far on this. But when you see things, you want to deal with it. But in this case, Jesus warned Judas, and he even once again presented the the danger to Judas. Repentance is wonderful. Even up till this moment, Judas could have repented. Judas could have repented up until the last moment. Jesus said this. Woe to the oh, another warning to this individual. He said he had already made the deal. They're about to take, you know, eat the bread. They're about to take the meal together. And he warned them. He just said it one more time. Judas heard us. Woe to the person who does this. I'm gonna make it really clear. Woe to this person. And yet Judas, he, and Judas said, is it I? He knew it was him. He knew it was him. And Jesus didn't say, yes, you have had people say before, well, you know, God needed somebody to betray him. So that was God's will for Judas's life. No, it was a choice Judas made. That was 100% a choice Judas made. Judas made the choice to love money. Judas made the choice to value that above Jesus. That was all on Judas, but you know, God knows the beginning from the end, but it's still our choice, right? And so Judas made that choice, choice, but Jesus, once again at the last minute, was giving him an opportunity to change, to actually repent. Well, he went ahead and ate that meal. You read the verses. He went ahead and ate them. I believe John talks about when he ate them, John or Luke. When he ate it, he said, when he partook of the bread, Satan entered him. He passed that point of no return. At that point, he had one more opportunity. The Lord presented him. As plain as day, just made it very plain. And he chose to go the way he was going. And when he partook of the meal, it said that Satan entered him. At that point, Judas was lost. Because there was no repentance from that point on. He, then he realized what he did. He was ripped with, with regret. That's the way the devil works. He's a jerk. He wants to convince you, to talk you into doing things just so he can then torment you. And so even the joy Judas thought he was going to get out of it, there was no joy there. It was nothing but just awful regret. Imagine when Judas led the soldiers into the garden. And, and he came up and kissed Jesus because he said, listen, the one I'm kissed, that's him. And so he went up and he kissed Jesus. And he had all of those soldiers there. Imagine Judas's mind. He probably might at that point, he might have been thinking, hey, this is, I get, I've got some money. I'm gonna, this is going to be good for me. Imagine when Jesus, when he spoke, when they all fell down. Suddenly, oh. Oh, oh boy, I've, I've really missed it. And then Peter lops off the guy's ear and then Jesus heals his ear. Suddenly, all of that confusion just leaves. All of the lies leave and Judas knows I've made a mass, I've, I've betrayed innocent blood. Listen, don't, repentance is important because you don't want to play with sin. You don't want to play with sin of, in any area. You don't want to play with it. I think Lois Towster said, or Lois or Cindy said, sin will what? Uh, take, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go and, and leave you longer than you wanted to stay. 
Sin is, sin is a deceitful thing. There is a pleasure in it for a season, but it always ends in death. The payment of sin is death. And so we want to deal with these things. That's why we want to be good repenters, know what it is. So we have the example there of Judas um, um, not repenting. He was filled with remorse. So remorse is not repentance, not the same thing. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm trying to hurry. He, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, so that answers that question. So no one needs to ask me that ever again. So we all know what that is. <laughs> and this is, I told you last week, this was a verse that used to bother me. This passage used to bother me. And I asked anybody else this used to bother me. A few people were like, yeah, that, that, I didn't, that didn't quite sit too well with me. And I told you about the days I used to call Miss Iris and see if the rapture had happened. So um, <laughs> thankfully it hadn't. So anyway, <laughs> in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we have an account here of, um, of Esau. Hebrews twelve twelve. it says, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down. And the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. I'm starting a little ahead, but pursue peace and uh, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up causing trouble. And I'll just stop for a second. Bitterness is something we have to deal with. It must be repented with. Bitterness is awful. I've seen bitterness get in and in ruin entire families. A seed of bitterness. You pass these things on to your kids. When we, when offense gets in, bitterness gets in, it can be passed on and be a stumbling block for future generation. It must be repented of. Sometimes, I was going to get to this later, when we repent of stuff, sometimes we need to address it head on. Sometimes repentance involves doing uncomfortable things, going to somebody and saying what I did was incorrect because that means you are wanting to make a real, that is, that's an action, that's part of taking an action of actually changing. You know, parents, the best thing you can do is tell your kids I'm sorry. The best thing you can do, because ain't none of us perfect, Ain't none of us perfect parents. When we mess up and we recognize it, tell your kids, I'm sorry. Some of you got grown kids. You need to tell them, listen, what I did, this area, this is what was going on. I shouldn't have done it. That's a part of repenting. Repent to the Lord, but get it clear with them. We don't want these things being deposited in our families. We just don't want it to happen. We don't want it to grow up and become a stumbling block for somebody else. Because what? It's sin. It'll take you farther than you want to go and leave you there longer than you wanted to stay. But it said here that lest any uh, um, uh, root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble, that, and by this many become defiled. It always affects somebody else. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, while he wanted to, to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance." He found no place for repentance, even though he sought it diligently with tears. And that used to bother me because like I, I, there were t- things that, that I was maybe was involved in or something was going on, an attitude or something. And, and, and I realized I needed, needed to get it right. And I think, well, I would say, well, you know, Esau here sought repentance with tears. He sought it diligently with tears and he could not find it. Well, if he couldn't find it, can I find it? Anybody had those thoughts before? Let me see a raise of hands if you've had those thoughts before. Yeah, the devil's a jerk. The devil's a jerk. He wants to torment you. Uh, Brother Hagin had said this, that he had said this, that he had went and met with this woman. She was in an insane asylum. Uh, I don't even know if they have insane asylums now, but probably don't call it that anymore. But anyway, she was in an insane asylum in those days. 
And he went to see her and, and to visit her with somebody's family member. They asked him to go pray for this woman. And he went in there. She just kept muttering, I'm condemned. I'm condemned. Or no, she kept muttering, I'm damned. I'm damned. I'm damned. I'm damned. I'm damned. I'm damned. And uh, come to find out that he went and talked to her, got, finally got some clarity with her, and she thought she had committed the unpardonable sin. She thought she had committed the sin and that she could never be forgiven, and so she was going to go to hell, and, and it just drove her insane. And the caretaker there said that there is a large percentage of these people that are in here, they're exactly in the same spot. I'm, con- I'm damned, I'm damned, I'm condemned, I'm condemned. No, th- that, that's... If you're alive and you have a heart to change, see, the danger is when a person gets to the place and they don't want to change, where they don't see what they're doing as a problem, where it's no longer wrong, it's no longer sin. I've told you before, I've talked to people that were involved in things. They're like, yeah, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to get it right later. And when that later came, suddenly, well, what am I doing? It's fine. My lifestyle's fine. And I don't have nothing to repent of. That's very, very, very dangerous. And you can let that go and go and go and go when you lose the desire to repent then you need to really check yourself, right? So, so in our own lives, let's make sure we're not to the point where we're losing the desire to repent. We need to cultivate this. And like, Lord, is there anything I need to repent of? Because I don't want to go further than I, than, than you, 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 you don't want to play with it. Because once you get there, who knows at what point that is for an individual? I don't know. That's between them and the Lord. But I want to stay as far away from that as I can possibly stay. I want nothing to do with that. So I want to make sure we deal with those things. But it said that um, he found no place for repentance, though he sought it, uh, sought it diligently with tears. Now, once again, the word repent, that he found, he found no place for repentance. It's the right word for repentance. It's the, the one that we want. He said he found no place for it, even though he sought it diligently with tears. Once again, it was emotion that he was looking at. He wanted real repentance, but he was going after it with emotion. He wanted the repentance that the Bible talks about, but he, he was responding with the, repent, the repentance that Judas had. You understand what I'm saying? So I got to looking. Well, what happened here? I'll just read it to you. Uh, in Genesis, we, we see the problem here with Judah or with Esau. I'll read it to you. Genesis 27, 36. And Esau, this is after the fact. He said, is it not rightly named Jacob? For he, w- he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, you have not reserved a blessing for me. He was upset that he received the blessing and not him. What's he doing? He's blaming, he's blaming Jacob. Whose fault was it? It was Esau's fault. It wasn't Jacob's fault. Jacob didn't steal anything. You're the dummy that sold your birthright for some beans. That was on you. You did that. But, but Esau, he's seeking repentance, seeking it with tears. He's really upset about it, but he's still blaming somebody else for his choice. Is that a change of heart? Is that a change of mind that results in a change of behavior? No, he's still blaming everybody else for what's happening to him. Not real repentance, no forgiveness attached to that. That's why he couldn't find it. You go on and read, there was other things. He found out that his dad told Jacob, don't marry the Canaanite women. So what did he do? He went out and found himself a Canaanite woman. Why? Just to, to, to rub it in his dad's face. This is not what you want. I'm going to do it anyways. What's that a sign of? He was seeking for, searching for real repentance, but he was remorseful and very sorrowful, but he was doing it the wrong way. It was all emotion. It was all about him. There was no change of behavior. There was no change in him. Can you see this? It's another example of not being repentant and falling for emotions. 
Don't fall for emotion. Now, I'd rather, you know, it'd be good to have something. If, if that's all you got, start somewhere, but don't stay with emotion, you know. Why don't you be in a robot and not carrying them? I and you, you, you need to get to the place of finding real repentance. And then the next, um, uh, the next one we want to look at, I had a bunch of scriptures there, but I think you got the point. You can go back and read uh, all of the stuff. Esau, Esau was a mess. He was an absolute mess, very bitter, very unrepentant. He refused to change himself. You know, I was, um, uh, I was watching, there's a, Steve Green had told me about a documentary series about the Chicago Bulls, and so I, I was watching it, and I was not a Bulls fan growing up. Any Bulls fans back in the 90s? I know Steve was a giant Bulls fan, Steve Morgan, Steve Green. I was the other team. I liked the Pistons, you know, the bad boys with the Pistons. And so, uh, anyway, uh, now I don't really care regardless. But anyway, uh, I was watching the documentaries, but it was a pretty interesting, you know, some things. One of the things that one of their players had done, he had, uh, was Scottie Pippen, and uh, they were playing some game, and I think Jordan was hurt, he was out or something. And so they're getting down to the end of the game. And, um, and I just, just, this is just as an example, because this is the way the world works. And so there was, they'd gotten down to an end of the game. They had time for one more play, and Pippen wanted the ball. He wanted to be the guy who gets the ball because, you know, Jordan wasn't there. It was the year Jordan took off, took a year off, played baseball. And so uh, he, he, he wanted the ball to end this play. Well, the coach called up another play, and, and it wasn't going to go to Pippen. It was going to go to somebody else, a, a guy who shot threes. And so Pippen refused to go out there. They had like, you know, two seconds left on the clock or something. He said, I'm not, I'm not playing. He just sat on the bench. He just sat there, and, and the team was shocked. They were like, I can't believe this is happening. You know, he's the leader of our team, and he won't even get on the court. And so, you know, they, they, well, they ran the play anyway. They dished it out to the guy. He shot the three. They won the game. Everybody was super excited. But in the locker room afterward, everybody just, I can't believe Scotty let us down. He was always been so stable with us. And so they asked Scotty about it in the interview. He's like, yeah, it was wrong. He said, yeah, I shouldn't have done it. And I, and it, was, it, was, it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. I did it anyway. And, and they said, you know. I regret doing it. I regret it. He said, would you do it again if you were in the same situation? He said, I'd do it again. Now, we laugh, but, but that's how we are with a lot of things. And yeah, I knew it was wrong. It was a mess. I shouldn't have done it. But, you know, I'd do it again. Sometimes we're not honest with ourselves, you know. And, and that's the trouble of, of, of regret and remorse and not being repentant. Had he said, oh, you know, it was dumb, give me, give me a chance, I'd do it all over again. His apology to his team would have meant something if the heart was, well, just give me another chance. I'll never do that again. If I could do it again, it would be different. It would be different, but he never really, there was never really any repentance there with the team. And then let's look at the next group. This is a group of uh, Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. Go to Acts chapter 19. We're going to be done here in just a minute. But this is good for us. Acts chapter 19. And I do want to talk about that thing just for a minute, Steve, that you had mentioned. Acts 19. We're going to start in the 11th verse. Anybody know when I started? Did you look for me, babe? Oh, who did? I said 730 something, didn't I? Okay. All right. All right. So Acts chapter 19, we'll look at verse 11. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought uh, from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, and there's some, there's some, there's, it's kind of, kind of cool stuff about who these people really were. But anyway, uh, these Jewish extortionists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirit, spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preached. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said to him, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? 
Then the man in whom which the evil spirit, who had the evil spirits, leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Not a good day for them, right? Then verse 17, this became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them. And the name of the Lord was greatly magnified. So you have this thing where uh, these guys hear what's going on, so they try to they try to cast somebody. There were these traveling ex, uh, uh, exorcists that went around, and a lot of them were tied to the Temple of Artemis and all these different pagan pagan temples that were there. They were they were a mess. And so if you were an, ex, an exorcist, it was like big business. It was like a big show. The exorcist would come to town, and because you know you got to remember back in those days there were. Everybody worshiped devils. There was a te- a, an evil temple or a temple on every corner. The temple of Artemis, you know, was the goddess of, a goddess of, fart, of fertility. <laughs> I almost said fertility. It's not that. So the goddess of fertility. And, uh, and so, you know, that was always like usually the primary temple in town. They did sacrifices and they had all of these other temples. It was just a gross thing. You can imagine the amount of demon possession that was involved in these cities. They were gross and, and just demonic stuff just running rampant. So these, extor- these exorcists would come through town and, and he was actually mocking the one guy. They, there's a lot of debate if he was actually Jewish or not. They're kind of because they would give themselves titles, you know, like I'm the big, I'm the, the big cheese uh, exorcist. And so these guys go in and they, they saw there was a change. Like when Paul did this, they're actually getting results because these guys had no power, but they would put on big shows and do all this stuff and people would get a good show for their money and the person would never get set free. But anyway, so Paul was casting these people out. They thought, well, we'll do this. Well, whenever they went in and tried to do it under the name of Paul, these things whipped up on them and they actually said, and people knew it, they heard it. Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And they whooped up on those guys, right? Well, when this happened, everybody was like, whoa, there must be something to Jesus and there's something to Paul because these demons knew who they were and they recognized you're not one of those guys. You have nothing to do with them. And so great fear spread and the name of the Lord uh, grew in that city. It was a great testimony. Even when the devil tries to do something, God will turn it around, right? And so then uh, it goes on to say, uh, and many who had believed, these are, um, uh, ex- these are people who had experienced actual repentance. Didn't say that, but we know it's here because we can see something. It says, um, and those who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. One account said that that was around several million dollars in value, the books that they burned. And it said that, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed as a result. Now, the word repented is not in there. It doesn't say that they repented or they experienced repentance, but it does say that what they can, they confessed, right? They uh, confessed and told their deeds. Now I'm saying you got to go tell your deeds, not necessarily, but if you did something to somebody, you probably should go to them. But it said they told their deeds and then they burnt their books. They burnt the, the, they, they had these books. They had these pieces of paper. They walked around, they kept them in their clothes. They had these enchantments and it was nothing but a bunch of crazy stuff written down. They would keep it on them. It was just a bunch of demonic stuff. And they burnt their books. They burnt their papers. They were very expensive. What is that? That is, they made a decision. They made a decision. And then there was action behind it. Such action that it was a complete departure from everything they knew. 
I mean, their books, this was ever, this was like some of the greatest value that they had. And they burned them, millions of dollars they burned. This was a public declaration, right, that I am no longer who I was. My life is different and I'm severing the cord to my past. That's a, about a, as radical a total transformation as you can get. They didn't leave room to get back into it. They burned it. They didn't leave the door open. They, get, they destroyed the door. That is a sign of real repentance. If, if you leave room for sin, if you leave an opportunity for it, it's not real repentance. Sometimes people do things, well, I'm sorry I do it, yet they leave. They, you got to be honest with yourself. They'll leave an avenue by which that, that if, if they're ever interested again, I know where to go, right? That's a sign of not a total transformation because you're still acknowledging that this isn't right, but I may want to go back to it. Something's not right. I said something's not right. Repentance is a change of mind that completely changes how you see, believe, and therefore how you act. And until repentance happens, anything you experience is nothing more than regret and remorse. It's an important thing. And so the whole point of all of this, when we were talking about this, like I said, I've been excited about it. I've been wanting to talk about it for a while uh, because I've experienced repentance. I know you've experienced repentance and there's more repentance for us to experience, but we've also experienced some remorse and regret. Let's move past the remorse and regret. Is it recognizable in us? Yes. Can you recognize in your own life, are you living with repent and repentance? Are you repentant or are you just remorseful and regretful? You can ask the Lord is what's going on. He'll tell you, but you'll know in yourself because if you're leaving opportunities, now I'm not saying that you won't, people don't mess up again and slip into something. It's one thing to just to, to give into the flesh and make a mistake, right? It's one thing to do that, but it's something else to leave that thing there just in case I slip up. You know what I mean? Oh, I might just purposely slip up, right? Oh, the Lord will forgive me. People go through this all the time where they'll, Lord, I'm sorry. A lot of times people see repentance as a get out of jail card. I can say some things but not really change who I am and God will forgive me because, you know, God loves me. And I can just say, well, you know, Lord, I'm sorry for this, but I'm not going to sever the ties. I'm not going to burn the books. I'm not going to do what those guys did. I'm, I'm not going to cut my ties. And they're never actually, the Lord knows the difference. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll know the difference as well. We need this so that times of refreshing can come. A lot of times, now not always, when we go through dry seasons, now sometimes there, there are times that we just have to just grow. We, there, there's, there are times where you just prove yourself faithful. There's been times where I've gotten up, I mean, long, pastors talked about it. There's been periods of time where he's gotten up to minister. I have as well and sense no anointing when you're doing it. And it's just a part of just being faithful. I'm honest, it's no fun. It's absolutely terrible, right? And then there's, there are times in our life where we're just going through times where we just, need to just, we just need to push through. We just need to be faithful, contend for what's right, you know, just, just keep doing what we know to do. Oftentimes, God is wanting to promote us. And so he's trying, he's, he's looking to see who we really are. He's looking to see what we're really made of because the things of God are valuable. He's not going to give that to somebody who's flippant, right? And so those times happen. But other times we go through dry seasons because we're really... We're in a position where we're, we're just remorseful over things. We're playing games, right? We're just playing games with stuff and not really dealing with things that need to be dealt with. Don't find yourself in that position. When, when you're living there, you are a prime candidate for deception. 
You're a prime candidate to be deceived, to be taken advantage of. It's a dangerous place to be in. When you see something, man, deal with it. That's a blessing. I got to see it. That's a blessing that, that, that something was taught, something was said. My brother, my sister said something and it, boy, it stirred something in me, right? That's why we want to value our words to others. Being led by the spirit to say what the spirit of God would have us to say, because that's an opportunity for that person to actually repent. But we model repentance in our own life. That's how we're effective at it. So I said this morning, uh, now, we, 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 you know, we, we can recognize it in ourselves. We need to recognize it in ourselves. And that's our primary goal. Look at it in us. But there is a part of recognizing repentance in other people's. And this is, this is important. And this kind of goes back to what I was talking to this morning. It ties into it. So um, now, now, having said that, we'll, we'll be done here in just a minute. Having said that, uh, why are y'all laughing? So... Um, we don't want to become repentance cops. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Listen, you mind yourself, but, but there are times. If you're a parent, you need, to, you need to be watchful, right? Don't trust your kids so much that you're naive, right? Uh, Tony, Tony Cook, we all remember Tony Cook. He was here. He did the, the, the history, supernatural history thing that he did. He was our dean at Rama. He said this, I'm trying to remember exact words. He said, you have to be, uh, uh, when it comes to people, he's talking a bunch of ministers, you know, people who are, you may think this is a terrible thing to say, but it's true. You know it's true once I say it, if I can remember what it is. He said, uh, when it comes to dealing with, with people, you've got to be, you ha- that's what he said. He said, you've got to be realistic to be pessimistic. And you've got to be pessimistic to be realistic. Did I say that right? She's like, I don't know. Amy was sleeping through that class. But um, <laughs> he said, you have to be realistic to be pessimistic. What does it mean? If you're going to be real about people, you can't trust everything you see. Right? If you're going to be real, you can't trust everything you see. Parents, you can't. I've done youth ministry for a long, long time. Raised three of my own. I feel like I've had about 100 kids. Right? You, or more. Right? You can't always trust what you see or hear. They may not like this, but I love you guys. Uh, you know, you, you can't trust it all. We can't trust it, and we just can't. But at the same point, if you're going to be, you have to be pessimistic to be realistic. You've got to be, you've got to be kind of like, ah, I don't know if you're even going to be realistic with things. It goes both ways. So when we're dealing with people, we need to always keep our intent up. That's why it's so important to be led by the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't get confused in these areas. He knows what's right. He knows what isn't. When you get a check about something, then you need to trust that check. Well, I don't see any reason for it. The Holy Spirit knows something ain't right. When Amy and I moved to Tulsa, and if I told you this, we moved to Tulsa. The very first couple we met, we got there, didn't know anybody, went to the young marriage group at Raymond. They had a fellowship. The first people we met, this guy's name, I don't want to say what it was, but anyway, not that I think he's listening. I don't know where he is now. But anyway, he was talking to us about all the weird people you run into at Raymond. There's some strange people out here, and people, you got to be really careful the people you meet. I wasn't spiritual enough. But my wife heard it, and I trusted my wife. I said I was spiritual. It just the Lord didn't tell me he told her. But when he said that, on the inside, the Lord told her, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's talking about, yeah, it was really clear. She said it, she said it shocked him. When he said it, right on the inside, the Lord said, yeah, that guy. Well, you can think, well, that's, that's, not, that's an awful thought to have. As believers, we want to believe the best about everybody. We want everybody to get it. We, we want everybody to do, to do well. We want everybody. We, we believe in that. We love everybody. Right? 
That's foolish. We love everybody. We don't trust everybody. Long story down the road, just a short amount of time. His wife is the one that stole from me at the bank five grand, right? And got me fired. Could have sent me to jail because they could have arrested me over it. And they decided not to. That was the grace of God right there. But that family had stolen, at one point, they had worked about $85,000 once they, they caught her. She went to prison for quite a while over it. And um, so these were Rama people. He was a, a, an usher at Rama. You know? Huh? Yeah. I mean, they were Bible school students. He was an usher at Rama. And, 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 you know, I mean, this, they were in this together and, and it was a bad deal. So you, you have to, you have to put your, your guard up. I read this scripture. Um, like I said, we don't want to be, we don't want to be repentance cops, but we need to be paying attention to our hearts. Um, let me find it. So we looked at the scripture this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Acts chapter 10, 38, I'm, I'm almost done. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So this morning we're talking about our giving and a part of that is charitable deeds. That doing good was actually philanthropy connected to people's physical needs. So Jesus went about, this was a part of Jesus's ministry. He went and he was doing good for people, meeting their physical needs and healing all who were sick. It didn't say he did good for everybody, philanthropy for everybody, but he did heal everybody. Here, here's the thing. Uh, we had, a, had somebody a couple weeks ago, was on, a, on a, one of the last night of Brother Greer. Um, this, a lady came up to me. She wanted me to pray for her. And she wanted me to pray that she was a visitor, was there that week, and never saw her again. It's only been a few weeks, but hadn't seen her again. She wanted me to pray that I would, I would pray for her, that she'd quit making bad decisions. Uh, she was messing around with men she shouldn't be messing around with. She was going places she shouldn't go. I mean, her life was a mess. And she wanted me to pray that she wouldn't do those things anymore. And I just, I looked at her and I said, well, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for mercy for you. you. You have, in love, you have to be real with people. And, and I'll be honest, she didn't like what I had to say. And I believe there was something else attached. She wanted something else. But, but I just said, listen, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for God's mercy and I'll pray for God's grace for you. But before I do any of that, you need to repent. And that was not the word she wanted to hear. But I said, and that just simply means change your mind, make a choice to quit living this way. And do whatever it takes to not go to those places. And if you'll do that, I'll pray for God's grace for you and there'll be help for you. But until you make that decision, there'll be no help for you because you have to choose what to do, right? We want people to get it. We want people to do things, but not everybody is in that place. When it comes to our giving, when it comes to that area of our giving, you've got to be led by the spirit of God and who you give to. Not everybody, some people are in the position that they're in because of their own choices, People have asked, you know, why don't we do certain things? Other churches have a, you know, food bank and all these other things. And who knows, you know, uh, what we may do in the future. I'm not putting anything out of, out of reach. I'm just saying as a general rule, here's the problem with mass evangelism and the way the church has gone to do things. When Amy and I went down to pick up her mom and dad after Ian, we're driving down, we're looking for gas. You know, we tried to stop in Tampa, no gas. And, and uh, we went down to Ellington, no gas. And so we're like, at this point, we're at, there, our chances of gas is over. Hopefully we got enough to make it, you know, on the trip, which we did. And so we're driving along and it's really slow bumper to bumper. And there's a Salvation Army truck right next to us or a vehicle going down to Ian. And, and so I, I said to Amy, 
how I, I and, and that, I, I just said to her, I said, look at this. This, it always, it always bothered. And I'm not, I'm not trashing, you know, who did I say? Soldiers, uh, no, so, no, Salvation Army. Yeah, Salvation Army. Yes, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not ripping into them. I'm just saying they started out as a Salvation Army for evangelistic purposes. That's who they were. They, they had a salvation, meaning salvation. Right. <laughs> salvation Army, right? And um, that's who they were. But over the course of time, you talk to their people, you read their stuff, you see what they do. Christ isn't involved in their salvation anymore. It, it's, a, it's a good works program. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a civic organization. They're, they're, they're like the Red Cross. They're just a Salvation Army version of the Red Cross. They're the same thing. What, what happens is when, you, when, when, when mass evangelism happens and you're meeting, you're doing philanthropy on a mass scale outside of the Holy Ghost, there are people in those positions because of the choices that they're making. And if you sow into their life, you're being a bad steward of what God has given you. I know that sounds harsh. Think about the, the, the prodigal son. Remember when the prodigal son, remember the story, he left, wanted his inheritance, he left home, right? And then he went out with crazy living and all the stuff he did. He found himself at the very end of his road, what, eating out of a, a pig trough, right? So he's eating out of the pig trough. And so he came to his senses and he went back to his, his, his dad and his brother got upset, you know, because the dad put the robe on him and did all this stuff for him. And he said, you know, I've been here this whole time, but he's been living crazy. They knew how he had been living. You know, back in those days, people didn't travel that far. When he went out partying, he was probably just down the street because they didn't have cars. They didn't go that far. Everybody knew where, who he was and what he was doing. Notice what the dad didn't do. The dad didn't help him. The dad didn't send care packages. Oh, my son's about to eat from a, from a pig trough. Let me, let me go send him, send him a Whopper. He didn't do that, right? He didn't send him a Happy Meal. He didn't send him a, you know, give him a gift card. So he didn't do, what did he do? He did nothing for him. Isn't that what happened? He did nothing for him. What's the thing that caused that guy to get to the place of repentance where he stood up, changed his mind, and went the other direction? A radical transformation of life. Not expecting it. He didn't come back like, all right, I'm back, boys. He said, make me a servant. You can see humility had gotten a hold of him. He had found repentance. That's a good thing. The good news for us is God will put the coat back on us. He'll put the ring back on us because he loves us. But it's in response to repentance. But he didn't just bail them out. What happens is a lot of times in these things, we know people, we've been in people where they, churches, they do backpack handouts. We know churches, friends of ours, who've done backpack handouts before the school year, before, had to call the police because a riot broke out because they ran out of backpacks before people could get their backpack. How are we showing the love of God by sending people to jail? It's crazy. Because people, what ha- we, we can be, if we're not careful, we can turn, instead of us having a message of salvation and the truth, the gospel, we're just nothing more than a handout. Right? And so what we have, that's why we have, as a, as a, if we had a mass event that we did, for us to say, yeah, you're good, backpack. You, you're not good. Imagine how that'd go over, Right? <laughs> Let, let, let's split the repentant ones from the not repentant ones. You guys get the backpacks. We'd have to call lots of police, I'm sure, right? You understand what I'm saying? But in our personal lives, giving to the poor is very important. Jesus, you don't have one instance where Jesus just randomly fed people. 
Well, he did. We don't, it doesn't really give us any examples of what he did, but he obviously did stuff. And Judas wanted the money from the alabaster box to go to, to give to the poor. He had, he, let's do something with it. But it doesn't tell us any examples, but we do have the times he fed large, large groups. Notice that wasn't just pick a corner and feed a bunch of people. These were people that left their homes, followed Jesus out into the middle of nowhere, spent all day hungry for the truth. They didn't do it because they were being sold. Hey, come out here. We'll give you a, you know, a a barbecue dinner or something. We try to buy people off. That's not, that's not doing anything other than monetizing the gospel and cheating people out of an opportunity to actually locate their heart. Right? And so he fed the 5,000. Why? Because they, had, they went with him and he realized they're hungry. They weren't even asking for it. But they had followed Jesus. Their heart was to get something from him spiritually. And so God, Jesus then met their natural needs. Giving to the poor is a valid part of our giving. You need to make room for it and be generous in it. And I'll say this too. The Bible talks about doing it, especially amongst the household of faith. The Lord will prompt you to do something for somebody in your church. Go do it. Don't make a big deal about it. Just go do it. That's good, but be led. If the Lord tell, if somebody starts dropping hints, don't do it. We know people that have like, oh boy, being at Rama, you know, <laughs> you hear how people are struggling and whatever. Well, my faith works. My faith works. My faith works by stripes, you know, or. or I'm going to have a meal today in Jesus' name. They're, they're hoping I go buy him a meal. You know what I mean? And so don't be a person who drops hints, but also don't fall for that. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Um, we need to be wise in these things and, and analyze where people are coming from on stuff. We don't, be, we don't want to be bad stewards of our money. You want to waste your seed and also ruin an opportunity for them to repent. Repentance is more important than all of those. The woman who came up, she was wanted me to do something for her. Ultimately, let's pray because I got the preacher to pray for me and maybe they'll do something to help me. Well, that's not the way it works. I'll help you. I'll tell you what you need to do. And I'll, I'll, if you want to pray, I'll pray with you. We'll do it. But that's not re- re- what she really wanted. So we need to be honest with these things. We need to pay attention and not be gullible. <laughs> It's a great word, right? Uh, gullible in, in how we do things. So practical application, be quick to repent uh, in our own lives. Be quick to turn to the truth, our thoughts, our priorities, our desires. If you have anything in your life that you need to get straight with somebody, get it straight right away. Make that change that the group in Acts, they confessed their sins openly. They, made, they didn't try to hide it. And then they burned the bridges. They burned the things that would take them back to where they were. So let's make sure we'll be good accurate repenters and how we do these things and walk in line with with what the word says amen at impact family church it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the word of god we have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.